For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Anshi Spoke Podcast. Today, we welcome one of our favorite people on the planet, Kelly Deals. Kelly is a writer and a feminist marketing consultant and coach. She helps women grow their power and dissolve their shame so they can rise and thrive in every facet of their life and our culture. Do you see why we love her so much? This is Kelly's second visit to our show. Her first was an interview for our Women and Money series, and we focused on her money story, of course. You can go back and check that out in episode 132. Today, however, we wanted to discuss the main body of her work, which is the female lifestyle empowerment brand. She describes this as an archetype women must comply with and embody in order to be deserving of rights and resources. It's also a marketing strategy that we're taught that leverages social status and white privilege to create authority over women. Think white, skinny women, pretty, full blowouts, dresses, tidy desks with succulents, making lots of money on the internet and selling empowerment. That's the female lifestyle empowerment brand. So have you bought into it? You're going to find out. Have a listen to one of the most impactful feminist thinkers of our day, Kelly Deals. Kelly Deals, welcome to And She Spoke. Thank you for having me. So we are recording this on July 3rd, 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There is massive social uprising around the world after the murder of George Floyd. There are anti-racism protests all over the world. There's talks about defunding the police in the United States. There's a brief mention about the RCMP here in Canada. 
you have black children, you are a white woman running a business. I just want to know what you are thinking and what you are feeling today. Well, I'm feeling like this is what we have been working for. And I don't mean the misery and the chaos and the loss of life. That's not what I'm talking about. But we have been working for real big systemic change. And this is, I think, what we're on the cusp of. And so I am grounded, I am a resource, and I am ready to meet this moment. And I do want to share something about my Black children. My daughter is 16 years old, and in our community, she organized or co-organized a Black Lives Matter rally at 16, having never publicly spoken, never organized, never done anything like this. Her and her friends got together, they put this thing together, and she spoke on and off for two hours. And, you know, she spoke through tears. She spoke with her voice shaking. And I was so proud of us and proud of her. And what I want all of us to know is we don't have to feel ready. We don't have to have trained. We don't have to have gone to leadership school or public speaking school or organizing school. We just have to be ready to meet the moment. And if we're not feeling ready, we can get ready by doing it. I saw that post about your daughter and I just, I sat there and just took it in and I stared at her photo, the photo you posted and was like truly in awe of her. Like, first of all, your parenting for her to be able to do that. And then something inside her that allowed her, because she didn't prepare, right? Like she just like went. She didn't even know that she was going to be like speaking and they got there and it was suddenly in her hands. So she was sort of the MC. She spoke on and off for two hours. She would open up the mic. So no, she wasn't trained as a leader or a public speaker or an organizer, but the situation called for it and she rose to meet it. And I just want to like remark on that. We are all capable of that. We don't have to have like taken a program or gotten a certification, but we can rise to meet the moment. And I think even if we look at our lives, like you know, I got pregnant with her by accident. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I rose to meet the moment. And there's a whole bunch of things that have happened in my life that we rise to meet the moment. And that's what's required of us right now. We don't have to feel ready. We don't have to feel confident. We can speak with our voices shaking and we can do it. Mm-hmm. But there is a fear of making a mistake. Well, and that's inevitable right? Because we are human, we are fallible, and none of us has been born into a culture of justice. So in Sonia Renee Taylor's words in her book, The Body is Not an Apology, we have to learn to get fluent in the language of justice. And some of us are more technically proficient than others because we have marginalized identities and we have experienced bias and oppression. And so some of us might speak it a little bit better than others, but we all have to learn it. So we are all going to make mistakes. When you're learning to speak a language, you're going to bungle it. And that's also the case when we're trying to build a new world. We are going to bungle it. We have to iterate, we have to trial and error it, and we have to be brave enough to make mistakes in public and keep going. Yeah, I love this idea of the only way that you can really prepare is by doing, because I think that lesson applies to everything, not just activism. And it's the opposite of holding on to our perfectionistic tendencies that many of us have learned over. I have thoughts about the perfection tendency too. I think it's actually a function of oppression. Yeah. Right. Because the only people who feel like they must be perfect are people who aren't allowed to have space in the world. And we have to earn it 
by being flawless and we have to earn it by performing social acceptability. And so I really think that one of the most liberating things we can do is put down perfectionism and be willing to be incomplete and to be flawed. We have uh, talked a lot about perfectionism and we often say that we want our clients to aim for B minus work and not A plus because if you'll never get there, right? And it's always the like, I want the approval from the teacher. I need to do the best that I can. And in this arena that you're talking about, that just obviously nothing will happen. Nothing will change if we don't take action, if we're always behind the scenes trying to do the A plus work. Yes, that's absolutely true. I say the same thing to my clients and students too. And around marketing, I say marketing just has to be serviceable, right? It just has to be adequate. It doesn't have to be a work of art. And like, that's actually a negative return on investment to make it a work of art, right? You just need to get it out there and have it working. But the thing about making mistakes is as we're like, the world is shifting underneath us. And so there isn't any way to be perfect or get it right because our standards are constantly changing and that's a positive thing. And so I look back at my work from like three years ago and I'm like mortified at something because I have completely evolved and improved and like have a more sophisticated analysis of that thing. And, but I would never have got there if I hadn't started there. So we're all going to start at zero and improve and evolve and change norms. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit more about your work? You, This is the second time that you've been on our podcast. And last time we spoke more about money and your money beliefs, your money stories. And we didn't touch upon the body of work that you've been working on for many, many years called the Female Lifestyle Empowerment Brand. So can you introduce that archetype to our listeners? And I just, let's dive into that because it's amazing work. Sure. I really appreciate that. So I'm a feminist marketing consultant and I help people build businesses without leveraging oppression. And so if we look at the problems we face as a world, they are made up of policies and practices. And that's how institutions work. And so we, when we are opening businesses, we are creating policies and practices and behaviors and norms. And so what we decide to do with that has an impact on our culture. So we can just do business as normal and we can use all the standard, you know, operating business practices and we can just keep doing it the way it's always been done and we'll get the same outcome, which is oppression. Or we can look at our businesses and think we can leverage our practices to create inclusion. We can leverage our practices to create justice. We can leverage our practices to interrupt unjust social norms. And a lot of times that doesn't even mean doing huge, massive things differently. It's actually a lot of very tiny business practice changes. Anyway, so that is my overall goal is I want us to make money and make justice using our businesses. Did you start out with your business in the normal policies, practices, norms? Like you were trying it, right? Yeah. So I always had a very strong feminist analysis, but what I was learning in the corporate world and the business space as an entrepreneur was that the business formulas and the marketing formulas we get taught if you apply feminist analysis to them, you can't use those practices. And I didn't see any other way 
to grow my business. There was no other strategies, no other formulas. And so I felt like I had to swallow my feminist principles to do business as usual. And I really tried hard to do that and I couldn't do it consistently, right? My principles would always break through and then I would back away from my own marketing strategies, my own plans, because I just couldn't do it in good conscience. So my business never really grew because I couldn't use the formulas and I didn't have an alternative. And I had this whole dialogue in my head that something was wrong with me, you know, that I'm self-sabotaging, I have an upper limits problem, I can't stick to my own plans. But what my problem actually was, was a conscience was a sense of justice. So anyways, what I realized was there was this formula and I call it the female lifestyle power brand. And what it is, is it's basically a cultural narrative about what a perfect woman should be. And what happens is it gets mixed with a marketing strategy for how to build power and build wealth in your business. And so the two things kind of go together. And what happens is women are trained in a business formula that leverages white femininity and various other privileged statuses to create marketing like awareness, basically. So basically what we have to do, I'm, I'm taking a long way to describe it. Basically what we have to do, I'm a white woman. So what I'm supposed to do as a white woman is get dressed up in, you know, a nice sheath dress and some high heels and curl my hair up and have long wavy hair and stand in front of a camera and say, oh my goodness, look at my messy counters while making sure to display my custom kitchen, right? And then talk about how perfection is you know, not necessary. And it's more empowering to be, you know, imperfect. We just talked about this, but to do it in a way that broadcasts is how wealthy and socially acceptable you are, how beautiful you are, how wealthy you are, how much leisure you have, how much respect you have, and then hold yourself up as, look, I'm the perfect woman. And I can teach you how to run a business if only you give me $2,000. So basically what I'm saying is, we are trained to leverage white supremacy, which is white femininity. We are trained to leverage wealth and we are trained to exert power over other women in order to grow our businesses. And so it's just white supremacist patriarchy in like a pretty pink bow. But it's really interesting though, Kelly, the cultural dynamics or the gender dynamics here, because what is the successful archetype of a female business owner in 2020 or 2018, because 2020 is shifting, is really different than what a successful male business owner looks like, right? Completely. Which is like ripped t-shirt, hoodie, that the archetype of, you know, like every tech bro in, in the valley Eat. who lives with like four roommates and like eats cereal all day. I mean, that is, and so women are held to this totally, even though I appreciate and totally get and understand and love your critique. Like, I think that pointing out the alternative too is so interesting that I, I mean, as a technology founder, I resent that I have to be so out in front of my business, like who I am and what I look like and having my picture places is so much more necessary than if I were a guy founding a software startup who would, no one would even know my name. Well, and that's exactly the point. And then also that women are held to a much higher standard than men are. So if a woman is like abrupt with her employees, there can be a whole streak of medium posts about how she's a terrible human. Whereas male bosses are allowed to be unlikable. Not to say that you as a woman should, you know, be a horrendous boss. I totally object to that, right? Like we have to 
strip out urgency and scarcity from our businesses and start doing it differently with our employees. But what I'm trying to say is who is allowed to be unlikable in our culture is about power. Women are not allowed to be unlikable. They're not allowed to not be pretty. They're not allowed to, like, those are just not acceptable. Whereas Steve Jobs, who is the ultimate tech founder, was an absolute nightmare of a boss. And he is revered in our world as this is what it takes to be an innovator. If Steve Jobs was a woman, she would be in jail, right? Like that is just, it's just not possible to be that. And I don't want us to be Steve Jobs. I do not want us to be nightmares of a boss. But what I'm trying to point out is there is a double standard that is applied to women entrepreneurs that is not right or just, and we shouldn't be obliged to perform it. And also a woman who deviates that from that gets punished. And that's what I'm trying to point out. And then there's a third layer in that if you do perform it, you can build power. And that is a problem. And that's what I want to interrupt because when we do it, when we have to perform that thing, what we're doing, it looks like you're playing big, but you're actually playing small because you're actually reinforcing white supremacy, you're reinforcing patriarchy, you're reinforcing all the things that limit us in the first place. And then you're downloading that onto your clients and to your audience and to the wider world. So you're like downloading your oppression onto other people in order for you to personally be the exception to that system. So that's what I'm trying to like get at and say that we can make some deliberate decisions not to do that. We don't have to be complicit. We can interrupt it and do something different. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I would say that you don't, I mean, even if you play into that role to achieve your own power to sort of bypass the system, like I don't think you ever escape the oppression, no. right? Like you're just more and more, you're just oppressed in a different way or well, I mean, a different layer. Look at our culture. We think that like beauty and power and wealth will buy a woman's safety. It never does. Wealthy women get beat, wealthy women get raped, beautiful women get abused. Like it doesn't provide safety. It might provide some level of accountability because you might have the power to get accountability, but it doesn't provide safety. And so these things are, it's an illusion. There is no actual safety here. It doesn't mean that you've escaped oppression. It just means that maybe you've moved into a position of being predator instead of strictly prey. So how do you get out of the oppression? Where, what's the magic ticket out? Well, it's not even just getting out of oppression. It's also getting out of leveraging oppression to yeah, create yeah, more yeah. power so for the yourself. Whole system, like right. How do you bypass the oppressive system? Well, I mean, I actually think we have to explicitly navigate it. So I got a fortune cookie recently that said, foot, a device for locating furniture in the dark. And I thought this is actually <laughs> like your foot is a device for locating furniture oh. in the dark, meaning that in the dark, <laughs> your foot will smash into furniture and now you'll know where the couch is, right? So this is actually what I think not having a structural analysis is like, is that if you don't understand the power structures of the world and what you're navigating, you are going to keep smashing into it. So in order to stop leveraging oppression to build your brand, and to stop getting smashed by oppression in your life, you actually have to be able to see the system clearly, right? You have to stop locating it in the dark and smashing into it. So that means you have to build your personal analysis. You have to understand how the system really works. You've got to become anti-racist. You've got to become feminist. You have to understand how all these systems of oppression work. And then when you see them clearly, you can start navigating them deliberately and stop smashing into them 
and stop getting smashed by them. So it's not a like one, two, three, and now you're free, but it is, you have to build your analysis and then you have to really connect the dots. So if let's talk about financial injustice in the female lifestyle empowerment brand, one of the tactics of those brands, one of the things we're taught to, if you go to any of these, you know, academies that are led by women entrepreneurs teaching how to be in business and do business as usual, you are going to learn that you should add 25 or 30% to any installment plan that you offer. So if you offer a payment plan because people can't pay in full for your thing, you're taught to add 25 or 30%. But what that does is penalize the people who are least able to pay. So that's financial injustice, right? You're adding a cost onto the people with the least amount of money. So they're paying more. So being poor or being you know, lower middle income or what have you is going to cost you more. So that's financial injustice. So when we're taught to do that as a business strategy, as a business as usual strategy, we think we're trying to empower ourselves and create financial abundance for ourselves because women have been screwed over by the system and we don't make the same amount of money. So we think that we're trying to create justice, but what we're doing is downloading injustice onto the women who are least able to afford it. Right, so I just want us to look at that. If we look at the zoom out and look at the whole system, we can start seeing how we are doing things with our own business practices that leverage oppression and create power for us and download oppression onto other people. It makes us complicit. So this is why we have to build our analysis and then we have to actually look at our own practices and say, what's the outcome here? Does this create injustice for other people? If you are, for example, on social media, only putting up images of thin white women or only putting images up of able-bodied people, then you are creating a norm, a media norm, that says only like beautiful, white, straight, cisgender women are allowed to take up space. So now you are creating oppression with your media. So we have to look at our own business practices and the things that we are doing on a daily basis and say, so how do we do it differently? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something different. So it's literally about our business practices. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. Unlike other startups, Namastream was created by women for women. If you're looking for a simple, streamlined way to build and grow an online business, you can learn more at namastream.com. Well, so I want to push back a little bit, Kelly, because I agree with so much of what you say and so much of what you're saying right now. And I think that there is room for this kind of personal driven change. But I also fear that the women who are listening to this podcast, because it's mostly women who go ahead and implement tactics individually in their businesses, also lose sight of the larger, larger structural inequality that's yes. going on. And I think that by only focusing on our individual actions, that we get this false sense that that's somehow going to be enough or meaningful enough to change the things that are going on around us in the world, right? Like I see that Yes. And the people like us and the people who are listening to us right now want to do good. Like we are all wired and have been wired since we were little children to do good. That's who we are. And that's who's going to implement what you're suggesting. And so like, just to push back on that, like the thing that's so hard for me is that the people who 
I want to be changing the way they do business. The people who have much bigger businesses than any of us don't do this. And so how do we, cause, and I don't think that they necessarily will follow. And I just, so I, this is where my, it breaks for me because I feel like so often we are by making certain choices, it is a bit of self-sacrificing. Like if it costs, if changing the way you take in money or changing the way you send email marketing to your list when you're doing a launch, if that affects you and your bottom line, but no one with a bigger business than you is doing it, like where's the systemic change there? Because I think for it to feel fair, I think a lot of people would say like, okay, great. I can do that. I can stop running my Facebook ads, (laughs) but like until, and now we're seeing that until Pepsi stops running their ads or until, you know, like people who have hundreds of millions of followers stop running their ads. Like really it's only going to affect like the small oppression conscious businesses. So there's two things there. One, I 100% agree with you. And I don't think it's either we change our business practices personally, or we go work at the systemic level and march in streets and write our senators. It's both. We have to do both, right? So I 100% agree with you. And I've even seen like women business owners talk about, well, I knew I wouldn't get maternity leave. So my way of making sure that I was personally empowered to take maternity leave was to create my own business in which I can take maternity leave if I see fit. And I was like, well, that's very nice, except that 95% of women are employed by other people. And that does nothing to change the policy nationally around maternity leave, right? So we have to do both. So, you know, we have to make moves in our own personal lives. We have to use our lives to create justice and we have to keep pointing it at the bigger structures and institutions. And I don't think the two things are separate. And I want to nuance that a little bit too, saying that we can change the culture around people. Right in the last month, the culture has changed around corporations and they have to address systemic racism in a way that they've never had to because people demanded it. So we are actually very powerful and we can change the culture around it by changing what we do. So we can influence it in that way. So that's how I think of us as culture makers. When we start creating new norms and new rules, we actually can change the culture around corporations and around institutions and they will have to adapt or they will crumble. And then the other thing I think too, is there's an implicit assumption in there that says that if we make these choices, that our businesses won't do well, that it will negatively affect our bottom line. And that may not be the case. And like the entrepreneurs that I've been working with, we put different strategies in place to compensate for the sacrifices that we're making. So we get creative. And so for example, I don't use like sales timers on my sales pages because I feel like they manufacture a false sense of urgency, which socially triggers a person into making a decision that might not be good for them. I want them to make a considered decision. Now that will affect my conversion rates. If you have a sales timer, they will convert better. So how do I compensate that and still end up with the number of sales that I want to end up with? So I intervene on the other end, which is I build a bigger audience or a bigger launch or get more attention so that I have more people coming into that sales page so that even if the conversion rate is lower, I still end up hitting my targets. So I'm not saying that that's what we do in all situations, but what I'm saying is if we remove a tactic because it creates oppression and it's going to create a negative consequence, then we look somewhere else in the formula and amplify that thing so that it doesn't affect our bottom line. And there is another piece too where you can see right now a whole bunch of people blowing up 
and getting huge sales by standing for the right thing. There's someone I follow, I'm taking a course from her right now, and she took a very strong stance on anti-racism and just had a million dollar month, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to financially sacrifice by changing our business practices, but we do have to be creative about it. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That is fabulous. It makes, I think there all the listeners are probably at this moment going, what am I doing and what could I be doing better? And that's the, you can't be what you can't see, right? Like there's so few examples of people walking the talk. Do you have some examples? Like I'm just going to name like Rachel Rogers, right? Is like someone to follow and watch because she's doing amazing work. Are there other people that you see that are great people to like watch them run their business besides you, of course? I was going to say you could, yeah, of course, of course. Ridiculous, but you could watch me. And I can tell you that when I was struggling to market because I couldn't ethically align with business as usual and the standards and processes and formulas I was being taught in regular marketing programs, I was struggling to make money because I couldn't stick to my own plans. And then when I took myself out of that formula and starting it, doing it on my terms through a feminist lens and building my own feminist business practices, my business tripled in 18 months. So you can just take a look at that. And I think someone else you could look to as an example would be Christy Harrison, who has a very successful podcast and a book and a strong business who has consistently taken a stand for justice and built it into her practices. And so I even can think about me as a fat woman. For a long time, I thought I can't be visible as a female lifestyle power brand, which is not a good thing because I don't line up with it. People are going to be disappointed in me. And I even got offered a speaking gig in front of 1200 people. And I didn't even answer it because I was like, I can't get on stage. People are not going to take me seriously. And finally I said, yes. And it went amazing. People whooped and cheered. But what I'm trying to say is there's a way in which all the things that you think are going to work against you can be sources of power. So it can be an actual asset, your difference, the things that you're doing differently, your feminist perspective, your marginalized identity, those can be sources of power and they can differentiate you as a business and a brand. And what we're all trying to do in marketing land is differentiate. So if I stand up as a fat woman and I put pictures all over my website and social media of a fat woman taking up space in our culture, well, then I'm changing norms, which is positive. I'm undermining oppression, which is positive, and I am differentiating myself from every other brand, and I stand out. And now I'm going to have more attention, more followers, more traction in my message and in my sales offers. So all of the things that we think might work against us can be differentiators and sources of power. So your feminist business practices can actually make people buy from you. And I can even give an example in my own business too. So whenever I'm about to do a launch, which means I'm going to be sending an email every day. I send out a note saying, Hey, I'm about to launch something, which means I'm going to send a lot of emails. If you already know that you don't want this thing and here's what it is, then you can opt out here. You're still going to stay on my newsletter list, but you're not going to get communications about this XYZ program. And people opt out, which keeps them on my list, which is positive. And the last time I sent this just a, like a month or so ago, Someone, I got a whole bunch of sales off of that email, which is saying, you don't even have to look at this thing. They like went and tracked the thing down and bought it. And one person bought another thing that I wasn't even trying to sell that was significantly more money. And she emailed me and said, when I saw how you were checking for consent, I knew that you were the teacher for me. And that's why I bought this high price thing. 
So all I'm trying to say is people see your commitments and your principles, and it can be a reason to buy from you. So are you saying that we don't all need to copy Jeff Walker? I've written so much about this. So no, we don't. So this is the other thing about the female lifestyle empowerment brand. The people like, let's say generation one of all the business coaches, the women business coaches, who did they learn their stuff from? They learned those patriarchal white supremacist models, the business as usual stuff that leverages privilege and leverages oppression and doesn't have any problem with it. And then they just adapted those methods to a female audience. So there's like, just, it's just old patriarchy and new bottles. So we need to like look at who we're learning from and who they learned from and what's built into that. Like if there's racism at the root, there's going to be racism in the practices and the outcome. And I'm not saying that any of those people are like explicitly trying to be white supremacists or patriarchs or anything like that. I'm just saying business as usual is implicitly oppressive because that's what the system is built to do. So we literally have to look at the roots and the business practices and do it differently to create a different outcome. Okay, Kelly, I have to talk to you about this. <laughs> no, I know. She's just I can't bursting. Help it. I know that this is going to take us down a path, but here's my take on this. And I really want to hear what you have to say. I think capitalism is oppressive. And so my critique on what you're saying is like, even if we try to de-oppress it as much as possible, like the entire system is just wrong. It's a terrible system. It's oppressive on people. It's oppressive on the planet. It's just a terrible way of organizing society based on everything I personally believe and have studied. And so I think that operating within our our existing economy, I have found that business is the best place to operate because I've also been on the nonprofit side and the academic side and all of the money for those places just comes from the most oppressive corporate interests anyway. It gets funneled through foundations or government or the academy. And so business is where I have the most ability to affect change like within my own sphere of operating, but it still feels like it's layered upon the system that is just fundamentally flawed. I mean, capitalism thrives on pretty much growth alone and unsustained growth. I mean, we're all like eager and searching for growth in our businesses, but growth is actually in many ways a really negative economic action, right? Like there's, I feel like harm embedded in growth itself. And so I just wonder if that's something that you, how have you come to terms with that? Cause I struggle with that every day. Like that is the bane of my existence. I'm glad it's the bane of your existence. So, because I think you're right. Right. But what I would distinguish between is business and capitalism. So I would say capitalism is when we have like huge, rapid, unsustainable growth that helps people accumulate and hoard wealth by extracting it from other people. And I would say business in trading between various people isn't the same as capitalism. Capitalism is like huge profits, hoarding, you know, like no concern for the outcome. It's, you know, rent seeking and robber baron kind of structures a whole lot of the tech world is built on this structure, right? So people who are generating billions of dollars of personal profit in empire because they pay their employees $15 an hour, that's capitalism on a mass scale, right? So that's capitalism. But like someone who owns a bakery and that bakery allows them to live really well and personally flourish is not the same thing as capitalism. 
in my opinion. So that's like the line I draw. And then the other line, and this comes from Toy Smith, who's a, a really good friend of mine, and we influence each other in a big way. But she says, you know, if you're trying to get money to live well, that is different than hoarding and accumulating mass sums of wealth. So that's like a bit of my dividing line there. And then what I also think about here is the system was designed to keep those of us who are listening to this podcast to keep us broke. It was designed to do that. It was designed to keep black people broke, indigenous people broke, queer folks broke, trans folks broke, women broke. It's designed, that's the outcome. So if we can interrupt that in our businesses and our personal lives and personally live well and not be deprived, we are interrupting that system. But we are also in a liminal space in that we exist in a capitalist economy. And so do we just opt out and go live in the woods in a yurt and have no resources? Or yes. do we try to, <laughs> that's a, that is an option, right? It's not an option for me, but it is an option. You know, or in this liminal space, do we make sure that we personally can flourish, that we can nurture the ecosystem that we're in, the feminist ecosystem, the community ecosystem that we're in and make sure everyone is personally flourishing with the resources that we've got. And we try not to get into this place of, I need to have a $46 million business per year. I want to pay all my employees $15 an hour. I don't want to give medical leave, you know, all those things. That's capitalism. But operating in an ecosystem where you're attending to your outcome and making sure that you have the resources to personally flourish and everyone in your business has the resources to personally flourish is a different thing. There's always been exchange. There's always been barter. There's always been trade. It always hasn't been done on a massive scale that devastates our economy and devastates our planet and devastates our people. That's capitalism. That iteration to me is capitalism. Interesting. I think we should have a follow-up conversation about this, but that's a helpful lens to, to think about. I also think that not all growth is bad. So in any garden, things have to grow, but they don't grow constantly, right? Like I have a garden right now, it's July, it is flourishing. And in October, it's not going to look so good, right? Like we have seasons and in an ecosystem, we all have to be doing well so that the ecosystem does well as a whole. But if any one plant starts going out of control, then it will devastate all the rest of the plants and devastate the garden. So that we have to look at that. We are an ecosystem. We need to take up our space and flourish in our space, but not take over, you know, the tomato space. Yeah, that for me is a very helpful distinction because I think I struggled with that. Like, so I appreciate that. Kelly, what I want to know from you is what state is your book in and when can I pre-order it? Oh, oh, that's a bad yeah, I, I expression. Have some, yeah, no, I have some anguish about this. So I have a 70,000 word shitty first draft awesome. in the holy words of mm -hmm. Anne Lamott. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's where I have. So that's why I sign like, oh, I wrote the thing and it's terrible, but okay, it's there and I'm going back at it. And I am hoping that in the fall we can go out to publishers and sell it. And I made a, a weird choice to finish the book before trying to sell it because I have a very small audience. So I thought going to a publisher as a first-time author with a small audience with a finished book in hand would reduce their risk and increase the chances of it getting picked up. So that's the choice I've made. But I sigh because I'm like, I have two months ahead of me of like going back to the drawing board and like trying to make it not a shitty first draft. <laughs> well, that is a good time to go into a year in the woods. That's right. <laughs> That's right. The right time. That's right. <laughs> well, just know if you do ever pre-sell it, 
we're all in. It's a hundred percent. Thank you. Like I am still, I've been waiting for a long time for this book, Kelly. And I just, <laughs> I know. Come on, Kelly. Get with the, with the close. Home, we're in the home no, stretch. That's great. I would buy the shitty first draft to be honest. So <laughs> thank you. It's probably not that shitty. <laughs> I would never put this to draft Let's just say that. <laughs> All right, Kelly. Thank you so much. I think we should just make you like a quarterly guest if you're all right with that. I'd love that. Yes. So tell us, uh, do you have a joint hustle for us today? Yes, I have two things. And this completely speaks to what a feminist book nerd I am. So my biggest joy in life right now is this new app called Bookshop. And it is helping me divest from Amazon. Speaking of like oh, really? wealth hoarding, right? So it's a bookshop app that sources books from independent bookstores. So you can go on, look for the book you're looking for, just like you do on Amazon. It pops up, you can order it, it delivers to you, but it actually got sourced from an indie bookstore close to you. In Canada? So Does it work in Canada? Well, this is, I believe that it does. So I'm just about to place my first order because I just discovered it and I'm so excited. And for those of us who put affiliate links on our book lists or on our websites recommending books, and now we no longer have to do it to Amazon because Bookshop has an affiliate program. So you can get 10% on any book that you recommend that people click through and buy. Oh my God, that's awesome, Kelly. Right, this totally helps us divest from Amazon. So I am like ridiculously excited about this. I am ridiculously, I detest Amazon and my husband orders from it all the time and I get so angry, but there's just, you know, that's why I drive to my local bookstore. So this is amazing. It is. I'm so excited It's just about called Bookshop. So that's books, my joy right Yeah, now. that's a huge joy. Bookshop. That's the- Bookshop. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so that can help us support indie bookstores, support the ecosystem, not the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I'm really excited about. And what else did you want to know from me? Hustle. Do you have like a business, hustle kind of tool, idea, book? I do. So I have something, it's my tool and I would love to share it with you. So something that I am sharing with people all the time in my world is something I call the five-step messaging model, which is, let's say, standard business copywriting teaches us to map someone's pain out and then stroke it so that they're in this disempowered place and they make a buying decision to get out of pain. So I hate that model, right? I think it's disgusting to trigger shame in people and then like agitate it to get a sale. So I've developed this model that I call the five-step messaging model that starts with actually what you do is initiate a shared value or a shared vision. So you broadcast a value or a vision and the people get into this powerful place where their hearts answer yes and they make deliberate decisions based on a shared value rather than trying to get out of pain because you know they're in pain and shame. So I have this really quick little copywriting model that can help you write a social media post, a blog post, a sales page. It's five steps and it starts with your shared value. And then you do, you could write one sentence for each of those steps or one paragraph or one chapter (laughs) of a shitty first draft. But I'm sharing this tool with everyone and it helps people write quickly. And from the perspective of let's get people in their power and make deliberate decisions rather than in their shame, making triggered decisions. So I share that with everyone. So that's my hustle tool right now. I think that you get to do two hustle tools because you are a two-time and she spoke podcast guest. So (laughs) I think there's a quiz that you might want to also 
Oh, I do have another tool. So I have something that will be coming out very shortly, and it's an audit or a quiz, but it's basically helping you assess your business practices to see if you're lining up with those negative female lifestyle and power brand business practices, or, and this is very powerful, it helps you evaluate the coaches or the teachers you want to learn from to see if their business practices are the practices of business as usual, female lifestyle and power brand. So you can go down and like, actually screen for what is their diversity in their social media feed? Is there inclusion in their group practices? Is there justice embedded in their payment policies? So you can actually go down and audit someone, which helps you make a personally powerful decision about where you spend your money and time and who you're being influenced by. So I have that quiz coming out as well. Awesome. Thank you, Kelly Deals. It is always such a good conversation. We all need to learn from you. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. I always love talking to the two of you and I love talking to an audience like yours, which is people like Jenny said, who really want to do well, want to do good in the world, want to personally flourish and make sure our culture flourishes. And that's what we're trying to do. Thank you. You're so welcome. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.